Welcome to Real Talk, Real Women Breaking the Silence Around Abuse. I am Gemma Serenity Gorokov, your host, and today we have the honor of having Sandy Johnston to join us to talk about domestic abuse in a light that is unusual. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Sandy Johnston is a survivor of domestic abuse that became life-threatening for herself and for her children. She was almost killed. She's the founder of the Key to Be Free Transformation Services, and she is the host of the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs podcast. She supports women struggling with the pain, damage, and the complexities caused by abusive relationships with a variety of services that en enable them to recover, renew, and rebuild on the other side of the abuse so that they can feel whole, secure, and confident with or without a partner. She helps them heal their heart, head, and hip pocket to give them the confidence to find the key to close the door on fearfulness, which is one of the big factors of staying there and staying in the problem and opens the door to new opportunities that align with their values, dreams, and desires. Sandy speaks up about domestic abuse and she is on a mission to help women put their safety first by taking the necessary steps to break free from abusive relationships. Today we talk about thoughts become things and you're going to figure out why and how. Sandy, Thank you for being here. It's an honor to have you. Thank you so much for having me on. And it's a real pleasure to stop and pause and take some time out to have a conversation with someone else who I know I can relate to and who can relate to me because we've both had our own journeys with abusive relationships and that is our common thread that um, you know we share even though our experiences would have had their differences but this is something that binds us together and gives us solidarity and that you know we have this opportunity now on the other side of going through those things to come into our wisdom, step into our wisdom and know that it's possible to actually, you know, heal those wounds from the past and just draw from those experiences and find the lessons that are there for us so that we can become stronger in ourselves, that we have more to give and be able to make more of an impact with our lives uh, instead of feeling beaten by what we've been through but in fact feel more empowered this is exactly it you really like easily explained the source of our connection and why we are here what we are doing here and why we are having this conversation giving hope giving light giving solutions. We have been there, done that, I promise, both of us. <laughs> so tell us a little bit your story, Sandy. Imagine that we are, we are listened and watched by victims hiding in plain sight. 
and they are not going to tell you who they are, but they want to know who you are. And when they recognize themselves in you, they are here. Oh God. Okay. Cindy, <laughs> they come to you. Say, can we talk just in private? This is how it works. So can you please tell us a little bit your story to allow people to relate to you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to go back a little while because it, this didn't happen to me yesterday, but it is something that happened to me probably from the time I was like early 20s, I would say, in terms of um, falling victim to abusive relationships. Now, the first abusive relationship that I fell into uh, was to a man that I married and he was 17 years my senior and he was very worldly and experienced and um, I really didn't see what was happening in that relationship as being a form of abuse. And I think that this is something that happens to lots of women um, that are caught in these psychologically sort of abusive relationships where they find that their partner is a bit like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde where one moment, you know, they're dealing with somebody who's really lovely and seems really generous and is charming and intelligent and the next minute they're dealing with somebody who's very explosive and um, you don't see where it's sort of come from and suddenly you're being made to feel as though nothing you can do is good or right or going to be good enough and you find that you lose, start losing yourself, you start losing your self-confidence. When I went into that relationship, I was very strong, independent, outspoken person who had absolutely no no issue in speaking my mind freely and and who was quite sort of happy in the person that I was. I was just like a really happy go lucky kind of person and I, I didn't have a lot of fears. I would was quite driven and really wanted to go after things in my life to live my best life, I suppose. And when I met my then um, husband, he I thought that it was going to be a happily ever after. I thought that um, this was it, that this was going to be my person that I was going to be with until death do us part. And that if things weren't ideal in my relationship, that it was really up to me to work out how to continue on with the relationship without um, without giving up on the relationship. So I suppose what happened in my circumstance is that I started to suppress a whole lot of stuff. So instead of talking about how I was feeling or what was going on and how it was impacting on me and that I needed something to change, I started to suppress all this emotional turmoil that I was going through and um, and I had that facade up that was like putting on this mask so that the world outside me saw one 
confident self as being everything's okay, my relationship's great, you know, my family life is fantastic. And from the outside looking in, it did look picture perfect. You know, I, I our relationship looked great to people who were looking in, but slowly but surely I started withdrawing from friendships. I started withdrawing from um, my relationships with my family because I no longer felt safe in those relationships to be myself, uh, my nervous system was becoming more and more damaged over time as I stayed in this toxic environment that I was in with my relationship. Eventually, I found myself, I had a child in that relationship um, and that child is now 27 years old and um, she's standing up on her own two feet, very strong and um, powerful young woman and I'm very very proud of her and my one of the one of the things that um, my ex-partner and I were great about and were in agreement about was the parenting of our daughter and that she really had a priority in our lives and that we would move heaven and earth to make sure that we were giving her the best in her upbringing so I was fortunate in that I was able to work together with my um, then husband when eventually uh, after I started having anxiety attacks on a daily basis and for anyone who's had an anxiety attack you will know that you physically feel like you're going to die in those moments your heart just feels like it's racing a million miles an hour you can't catch your breath there just doesn't seem to be any air to breathe and though it's so overwhelming in those moments you don't know if and when it's going to pass and you're just consumed by this fear that this is it this is the moment you're going to die and I lived with feeling this way for a year and not knowing any peace from that, just worrying that it was compounding because I was worrying each day when the next anxiety attack was going to hit me and how I was going to make it through the next attack and how I was going to make it through the next day. And I was just consumed with unhappiness, with the way that my life um, had gone and although you know I was just there's nothing I wouldn't have done for my daughter so what I was doing which I didn't know at that time was I wasn't putting on my own oxygen mask so if you hear that analogy about so when you go up on a plane and before the plane takes off they run through the safety drill basically where the exits are and if the you know if there is an emergency the oxygen masks are going to fall down and they instruct you if you have a child with you or if there's somebody else who needs assistance to not put the oxygen mask on them first but to put the oxygen mask on yourself first with absolute good reason because if you don't put your own oxygen mask on you're incapable of being able to help anybody else. 
So this is a really like tough lesson for me to learn because I'd always been such a giving person. I, you know, it was always on my heart to give everything of myself to the people that I loved. I wanted them to know in no uncertain terms that how much I love them and that there wasn't anything in the world that I wouldn't do for them. So that's all well and good and it is the way that we should travel through life, but not at our own expense, not where we're sacrificing ourselves that we're not even taking the time to to breathe, to get that oxygen that we need to have the energy that we need to be able to give to others because you can't give from an empty cup. You have to fill that cup up somehow. And I wasn't, my cup wasn't being filled up at all at that time. So things became really, really untenable in that relationship. And um, I was so miserable. And um, a friend of mine said, look, you know, can you see yourself doing this for like the next 10 years? And it was it was really, really good advice at the time because she didn't tell me what I should or shouldn't do with that relationship because it's very hard for somebody else to come in and say, you know, without a doubt in my mind, I don't think you should be in this relationship. You should leave this person. It, you know, when we're in a relationship, we have to come to those conclusions ourselves. And that's what I did. I projected forward. I looked forward 10 years. I asked myself the question, am I going to be able to sustain this kind of unhappiness, this kind of mental brokenness where I'm suffering with my nervous system being absolutely shattered for another 10 years? No, it's not something that I can do. And so I I contemplated what I thought was something that I'd never be contemplating and that was leaving that relationship, which I did. And it wasn't, um, you know, as though the second I thought, yes, I'm going to leave this relationship, that I, that was it. I was able to transition out and the new life would suddenly <laughs> um, be there for me to step into. It's a process. It's always a process when you're entering into a new relationship or you're exiting a relationship. There's always a process involved. And I guess that's been another one of my big life lessons is understanding the law of process and that there's no escaping it at the end of the day. If you try and sidestep things, it's going to catch up with you eventually and you will need to still go through that process. If you skip steps, you're going to have to come back to them and repeat them. So um, I understand that now and so now I'm much more patient with taking each one step at a time and understanding that in time, I will get to where I want to go. Um, I had become a victim of circumstance, even in that first marriage. And I think it's very easy to become a victim of circumstance. And I think when we look at women and we look at abusive relationships and women becoming victims um, and women being open to victimization, that... Um, we also need to look at becoming a victim of our circumstances. 
I was very prone to being a victim of circumstance because like you, Gemma, I'm a very spiritual person and I um, am very go with the flow. I really believe in finding the flow of life and going with that flow. What I didn't understand is that I needed to become more intentional and understand that when that flow was happening that I needed to have a look at that flow and see if that was the right flow for me or not. And I felt quite powerless once I was in that flow and I didn't know how to actually get out of it. And this is part of what is like the cycle of abuse. So that number one relationship that was with my then husband who was like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde where he was very, very changeable. There was these two sides to him. I was walking on eggshells all the time. And when I talk about walking on eggshells, for me, it's like walking on broken glass because you feel like it's a death by a thousand cuts. It doesn't, it's not just one thing. It's one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. And um, it's very wearing and it is one of the reasons why it's so hard to move away from when you're feeling so depleted. Now, my heart was very broken because of my failed marriage. I saw myself as a failure because I hadn't managed to be able to find a way to fix and heal my relationship with my then husband. So I was still really yearning for love and yearning for that soulmate, to find that soulmate. And I then fell from the frying pan into the fire. And when I met my next partner, who was absolutely charming, charismatic, he's a really good looking, you know, really good looking guy. He was really outgoing. He's like the life of the party. And, um, and he told me everything I had been longing to hear a man say to me, you know, telling me that there's just, you know, nothing that he wouldn't do for me. And any man who let me go was crazy. That was, you know, these are the types of things that he was saying to me. And I felt for that hook, line and sinker, Uh, you know, I'm like, wow, this is exactly what I have been longing to hear. And I believe that he meant what he said to me. It wasn't until much later that I learned that he was a player. And, um, and I would like to talk for just a second about red flags, because Those red flags were there for me at the very beginning of that relationship. But because I was wearing rose-coloured glasses, which, you know, I, I look at when you go into a new relationship with somebody, you're looking at that person through the eyes of infatuation. And the eyes of infatuation are like putting on that pair of rose coloured glasses which makes that person, like everything about that person look like it's okay, even when it's not okay. And so I was getting these like signs already at the beginning that there were things that were like way out of whack. And I'll just give one example. When I met 
uh, my then partner, who has became a very, very abusive person. Um, so I was seeing somebody casually, and uh, but I am, you know, definitely a one man at a time person I will not you know nothing it's up to people what they you know want to do in their relationships but for me I only wanted to be with one person at a time so I needed to let this person know that you know we were just seeing each other casually that I couldn't keep seeing him anymore because I'd met somebody new and um and we were going to see if and what happened and if there was going to be a relationship out of that at the end of the day. Now, when I went on a walk with this lovely guy who I was in that casual relationship with, I felt, I just felt it down, you know, right to my core that somebody was watching me. And I kept looking over my shoulder. I just had this, you know, that sixth sense, that intuition, your intuition saying, Oh, I feel, I feel that. I can just feel like somebody's watching me. So as we were on this walk, I kept sort of looking over my shoulder because I, I just couldn't shake this feeling. And then, so we had that walk, we had that talk, and then later I reconnected with my, um, the ex-partner that I'm talking about that became very abusive. And... I said to him, I told him about this walk and talk that I'd had with this other person that I'd been seeing casually to end things. And I said, I just couldn't shake a feeling that I was being watched. And he looked at me and he lit up and he said, you are so clever. You know, how on earth did you, you know, pick up that I was watching you? So... So, you know, like I didn't see the danger in that Gemma and it was absolutely a red flag. It's not normal for somebody to be stalking somebody else, which is clearly what he was doing. I didn't even know about the word stalking at that time. I didn't even know stalking was a thing and I just didn't see the danger in it. I was kind of like, I don't understand, but... I think he's just super interested in me. I didn't see it as being obsessive. I didn't see it as being over the top. I didn't see it as being unhealthy or toxic or dangerous, which is, you know, any kind of stalking is a real red flag that um, there's a, an abusive relationship in store and that... Um, that abusive relationship is likely to escalate to something that's quite horrific at some stage. So this is why when there, there is that kind of unhealthy relationship, there is also the lack of trust. When someone is starting to stalk you, there is a complete lack of trust. No trust in you, no self-confidence, no reassurance that no matter what you do at some point you're just going to to share in the in the couple or to just know that he's good enough anyway so as he loves you you will come back to him anyway so just enjoy yourself and be your happy self he cannot think that way someone who is talking cannot it's all about 
I'm afraid, I'm not enough, I'm going to check, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to watch, maybe she's not. And 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 projecting on you the entire um the entire landscape of his own insecurity originally. And that can become super like obsessive compulsive or things like that. That is uh that becomes like more than weird, dangerous. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you touched on a few really important things there. And one of those things being the the danger that comes in it. But I love that you actually touched so early on in what lies underneath the power and control because when you talk um, to people who are sort of experts in the area of domestic abuse and domestic violence, um, they will say that at the heart of it is power and control and that that person has a need to have power and control over another person. So I like going that extra layer deeper, which is the layer that you've gone straight to, Gemma, which is to say underneath that, why do they have a need to exert power and control in the first place? The reason they need to exert power and control is because of their own insecurities. If they didn't have those insecurities, there'd be no need for them to exert any power or control over you because they'd be secure enough in themselves to know that, you know, if you say you love them, if you say you're committed to them, then that's what it is. So, um, so another thing that, you know, stems from that is the jealousy. So the, you know, the insecurities is another red flag to look out for that was certainly like evident from the very, very beginning with this relationship that I had with this person was that he was obsessive about with his jealousy, just over the top, like I've never seen before from anybody we would walk down the street together and not only would he give other men like really dirty looks, like, you know, he'd be throwing daggers at them when they looked at me because it's quite like, a, you know, human behaviour. People notice each other all the time, you know, as they pass each other. And sorry, Emma, there you go. Um, so... Yeah, that, but he would go beyond that and he would um, he would actually insult the person that he, who he thought had looked at me, who had had the audacity to actually look at me when we're out in public, you know, and he would just hammer that poor guy and that person might actually be walking along with his own partner and this, you know, like it was just embarrassing for everybody. It was just completely needless. And I would just, you know, want the ground to sort of open up and just swallow me <laughs> whole in those moments. I'd be like mortified thinking, oh, my God, this is so unnecessary. What are you doing? You know, there's no need for you to to talk to people that way. There's no need for you to, you know be looking at people like that there's just absolutely no need for it but he was 
he had different standards to me. He had very different standards, very different values and very different lens that he was looking at the world through to the world, the way that I looked at the world. And, um, and so we were never going to see eye to eye, but, um, so in this relationship, I ended up having three children with him. Now there was, there was something that was underpinning. So there was, there was a love that I had for him. You know, um, you don't go into a relationship when you don't love a person. I, you know, I fell in love with him. And so I dismissed lots of the things that weren't right that were going on. And, um, and I just kept making excuses for the things that he was doing and sort of trying to downplay things as not being such a big deal, you know, like really, you know, just it's not a big deal. But we can we can deal with this somehow, you know. I just... So I what, have a question for you. Yes, yeah. There is a moment in time where you see the light when finally the light bulb comes and really you start really think to yourself, okay, this does not work. It's not okay. It's dangerous. It's weird. It's embarrassing. I would like to be swallowed by the earth, as you said. I have to leave. And you said in your bio that you were almost killed. That's pretty bad, and that's it. I mean, that that's really waiting to the end of the unbearable to say, "All right, now stop, sound the alarm, do something about that." It's better to go where I don't know rather than to stay where I know. That shift. What is that shift? And then we are going to talk more about those thoughts become thing, and we get to try to wrap it up in certain yeah minutes yeah. to come. All right, so we'll talk about that that light bulb moment. Now, that light bulb moment came for me when I had my first child with him, and um, so there was drugs and alcohol involved with him, and he so he lived a very duplicit life. So there were two sides to him. There was a side that he was showing me, and there was another side of him that he kept hidden from me. So. I was confronted with finding a bag of drugs in my home when I had a nine-year-old child and a, an infant, and I absolutely flipped out. And I was like, this is not happening in my home when I have children to take care of. We are not doing this. And so that was my first confrontation with him, if you like, where I tried to break away. And this is where, how the cycle of abuse works, where you will get manipulated and drawn back in because you'll be made promises. This is the last time I'm doing it. I promise, you know, and I'd say, I think you need help. I think you need help with this problem. No, 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 I'm good. I can do this on my own. And then you give another opportunity. You turn the other cheek. You let them try again. And it, around and around it would go in this maddening circle. So that went on for a long time. And I tried to push him away. I tried to separate. I separated. We were living as a separated couple for 
six years where he was still pushing his foot back in the door and trying to wear me down and get me to take him back. So it wasn't clear cut and it isn't for many people. And on average, it takes women 10 times to try to leave an abusive relationship before they manage to be able to do it. So if anyone's listening, if you're like me, you've tried and tried and tried and it's not working, it's not your fault. For me, what had to happen was that things escalated. I got an intervention order or what you call a restraining order in place. From that point, it escalated. And um, he came to my home. He wasn't supposed to. He said, you know, we need to, you know, pick up the relationship. You need to drop the order. And I said, we're never going to be in a relationship ever again. But you can still be a father to your children. At that point, he said to me, no us, no kids. And when he said that, I just thought he was spitting the dummy, throwing a tantrum like a little two-year-old, you know, he's not getting his way. So he's saying, well, I'm not going to come and see the kids if, uh, you know, you and I, if you're not going to let me back in the door again. And 10 days later, I came home. I'd picked the kids up from the bus. I'd finished my day at work, came home, opened the front door. My house was flooded with gas. Um, he had tried to blow the house up, with, you know, and that was supposed to be with me and the kids coming home to it. So we that was my wake-up call. So my true wake-up call, because up until that point, I had no way of actually breaking away from him. He would not let me break away. He kept stalking me. He would not leave me alone. He kept wearing me down. So it's it was seemed absolutely impossible to actually get him to a safe distance. And that I was trying to do with the restraining order. So when push came to shove and I knew for certain that I was no longer safe, the kids were no longer safe. We went into hiding five times and eventually when the police remanded him for lesser breaches to the restraining order, that gave me a window of three weeks and where he was held without bail until um, the date of the hearing and that gave me three weeks to pack up my house and take my kids and find somewhere else to live which was like six hours away I cut myself off from my family from my friends from everybody I changed our names and I connected with family services and um and domestic violence services the police the courts everybody got all the support that I needed to transition into this crazy situation of running away from one person who was hell-bent on never wanting to let me or the kids go. So um, eventually, just quickly, I managed to fight tooth and nail. He tracked us down after the first time. We had to then do another relocation, another name change. And eventually what happened, We um, I managed to get what is called an indefinite intervention order, which means that it's a restraining order that goes on until the year 2060. So it's quite clear that he can never come into contact with me and the children again. He had to serve two terms in jail for the breaches that he had made to the intervention order to both of them, to coming and stalking us and, and tracking us down again. So he ended up doing two terms in jail. 
and we finally have peace in our lives. And I'm nine years on from that time where the kids and I had to flee from that situation. So um, that's it in a nutshell. And that's where I learned that it's you need to put your safety first. You never know. I thought that I was in a relationship where he'd never physically harm us. I, I knew that there was all this psychological damage that was never going to stop. You know, he would just always want to keep tabs on us, always try and, you know, cause dramas and the financial abuse and all of those sorts. I was prepared for all of that, but I didn't expect that it was going to turn into a situation where he was going to try and kill us. So that was my wake-up call. And then I, I understood that I had to move heaven and earth however I could to keep my kids and myself safe. I thought I could stay in my home. I thought I could stay in my community. I thought I could stay connected to my family. I had to let it all go. I totally understand that. And I, and I had experience a different version of something similar where indeed when you succeed at leaving the relationship, you actually leave the entire common network, even if it is family, with it. And it's like, God. So basically, when you lose voluntarily your abuser, you also lose a ton of people who are not abusing, but actually are a breach between you and that person. And that becomes a problem because then it bites you back. This is why you have to leave them too, at least for a long while. Yes. Yeah. No, long for quite years. Yeah. I'm back in contact with my families and I've reconnected with lots of those relationships that I had to put to a stop, a halt, basically halt until the kids and I were in a safe place, until we had some security back, until we had some stability back. And most importantly, and until I knew that the risks had diminished and we had a really good chance of being okay and safe again. So, yeah, you've got to tick, tick those critical boxes off and make sure that, um, yeah, they have been ticked before you open up those relationships again because, as you said, those relationships compromise you. It's not as though... The other people are going out of their way to try and complicate your situation or going out of their way to put you at risk, but they do it quite innocently. A lot of the times they're manipulated into getting information, you know, and giving information that they shouldn't be sharing. So this is why, you know, sometimes you have to go to the nth degree like I did and just separate yourself from everybody that's near and dear to you all that is familiar and I know it just sounds like the most horrible thing in the world to go through but like I said it's it was just that was that first important step in my process of becoming free so I now just want to talk about this next thing of thoughts becoming things because this is so mind-blowingly powerful for women to understand the, the power that they have. When I learned about the law of attraction, I thought that 
all I had to do was kind of think about something and that it was that was it that's all I had to do and everything would fall into place magically you know and I, and that was one of the things that actually kept me stuck in that relationship because I was waiting for God to come in and fix everything for me and I didn't do anything I just sort of paused and waited and what we need to do is part the word karma actually means action and so we need to actually be a part of that process with the law of attraction and we need to get very specific so it works all the time I want everyone to know that the law of attraction work is working in your life right now it never stops but the thing is, is that the power of attraction is working not only in a positive way, but it can also work in a negative way. And that's why it's so important for us to intentionally be thinking about positive changes in our lives, thinking about the things that we can do, putting our focus on those things rather than getting caught up in the limitations getting caught up in I can't do this I can't do that because the more that you're saying those things the more of that you are actually reinforcing with that law of attraction because that is the power and the energy that you the flow that you're putting out there is this I can't I can't do this I can't and as much as you know you want things to change, you want things to be better in your life, this flow is there. And for you to be able to shift that flow, it starts in your mind. It's all about your mindset and the types of thoughts that you're having. I want to share with you a story because I, I'm a very strong believer in manifestation and I just want to give an example of, you know, one of those little miracles that happened quite recently to me. So I love music and I had an opportunity to go to a concert, an outdoor concert, and it didn't cost me anything um, because my husband, my partner, remarried in a really good relationship he drives buses for a bus company that shuttles people to and from the concert. So he shuttled them and as his wife, I was allowed free entry, which was wonderful. So we got to see some really great acts, but the the headline act was a really like incredibly famous Australian band called Crowded House. And I love this band. I really, really love them. So, you know, I'd already manifested this way to get to see them for nothing. And the universe then rewarded me more and put me in the right, I was in the right flow because I knew that, you know, I was, I was so grateful for this experience that I knew I was like, I'm there. I am fully 100% there you know, I'm going to enjoy every single bit of this. This is an adventure and, uh, you know, I'm going to enjoy every single bit of it. And um, the 
act that was on just before Crowded House, they had finished and there was like a 10, 15 minute gap between acts and this mother and her adult son came over to us. Now, we were in a sea of thousands of people, okay, at this outdoor event and we were sitting in the general admission area. No big deal. We were up towards the back, didn't care. We were having a great time. They said said to us, look, we've bought these tickets. We actually came to see Angus and Julia Stone, the, the act that were on before Crowded House. We're really happy. We've seen who we wanted to see. Now, we just want to give our passes to somebody else to go and see Crowded House. We had, you know, we got second from the front row tickets. We'd like to give you our wristbands. Here's the tickets. Here's the seats where you have to go. Have a great time. And (laughs) like out of nowhere, completely out of nowhere, this fell into our laps. And I was like, oh, thank you, God. Like, thank you. Like how flipping amazing is that? That's just like incredible that we should be given that opportunity and we took it we just went with it and we had the best time so that I just wanted to share that story because that was just something recent that happened to me that was just like that you know that evidence when you're looking for that evidence to say yes miracles do happen so I have two questions for you about that specific experience yeah. Was that something that you dreamed about a few times, at least before, or maybe all the time? I'm so, so glad that you asked me that because it was a really important part of the story that I didn't share is about a fortnight before I actually had this dream of being close to Dan. <laughs> I knew it. I proceeded. <laughs> it has to happen somehow. There is a link. We have such a creative mind. All that we imagine with our feeling, with our emotions, in 3D and color, and all of that in our imagination, we feel it to be true. And then from that place, we feel fulfilled to have already received, even though it has not happened in the physical reality yet. And then out of the blue, or more precisely, out of quantum physics, because it just like come to you, it's a magnet. Yeah, it does happen. Either you have the money to get it, or you have a gift, or you find it, or you receive it, or something. Or suddenly the person comes and comes down and say, oh, you, Cynthia, recognize you. Come over and you're here. What? 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 <laughs> and you just on the app. Something, and that something is up to what you can receive. And as you were open to receive that, you asked for it. It was the free way for manifestation to wash your way. And that was also the counterpart of the manifestation of these other two lovely people who were satisfied and desire to give forward the gift of that good time. Isn't that amazing? It's just so, so amazing and wonderful. And 
One of the things that I just want to share about that too is that I actually was detached from that desire. Like that dream came to me. Now, I didn't turn, I didn't hold fast to that and have an expectation that that was going to manifest for me. And I think that's that's really such an important um, key to manifestation too. Is you really need to be very mindful when desperation comes into your desires. If you find that you're you've got this absolute desperation coming through that is going to impede the manifestation process because the flow needs to be a free flow we can't be coming from a place of fear and holding on fast and trying to control that there ha- we have to step back and allow the universe to make that manifest for us and come to us so it's something that you'll sort of observe when you put it into practice more and more but I know that there's been times for me where I've just wanted something so bad and that desperation has come in and I my energy has changed in that moment to the wrong energy for that manifestation to flow through there is a good reason for that and it's it's again quantum physics. It's 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 real physics, even though you cannot see it because it's at a quantum level, so it's tiny. But it is like all the circulation of energy. When you are in need, you are acknowledging and calling in the not having, and this is what multiplies. And this is why the fastest way to manifest another situation even in hell and I know what I talk about when I say in hell it's to take a moment it doesn't have to be an entire day talk about a minute, 30 seconds a moment and imagine the same way than when you were three or four years old, creating an entire landscape, imaginary landscape in your mind, and taking some random anything, making it work, because that represented that, and you imagine something else, you completely did not care what it was, you just cared that it was what it represented for you, and you play that with your emotion, with your heart, and you know with absolute unwavering certainty, even for just a while, that that is true. You do that, even if few seconds, if you even one minute, that's enough to put into motion the entire solution to come to your rescue because you are now creating it. You brought it in, and it. I, no, I absolutely love that. And um, if you can come, you know, towards the things that you're desiring from a place of curiosity where you're questioning and asking, what if? So what if? And just allow that, you know, curiosity because we can talk ourselves into so many things 
We can talk ourselves into negative spaces and we can talk ourselves into positive spaces. And I'm not talking about, you know, toxic positivity because we need to, we are emotional beings and we are here to experience a full gamut of emotions. So it's not about suppressing. So please, you know, like I, I know what that is like to suppress those those emotions that have been running really deep and then that just plays out. It has to come out somewhere. And if you're not allowing yourself to express yourself freely and with your emotions in healthy in a healthy way, then it's got to come out physically at some time, at some point, and it's got to do some damage to your nervous system. So there is hope. There is a path to healing. And I just wanted to leave one little exercise too for those who might feel stuck in a world of I I don't know what I want or I don't want. If you're in the I don't space, spend some time, write that list of what you don't want because you are super clear on that. But then I want you to have a look at your list and start flipping it to if you don't want that, then what is the thing that you do want? And you will be able to come to those conclusions when you've gone through and taken that time to just get really specific about what you don't want. Write it down because you know that you don't know what you want when you're having conversations with your friends and they're like, what do you want? And you're like, well, I don't want more of this and I don't want more of that. And write those things down, get clear on them, put them on paper and that'll help you to start flipping things and find out what it is underneath that I don't want that it is that you do want so that you can start getting into that flow. Absolutely. This is a great exercise. So Sandy Johnston from TRS Tears and Triumphs podcast. An absolute amazing story of resilience, of overcoming the odds, of healing from the most particular experience dangerous experience and how to understand the law of attraction and put it into practice in a way that serves you and that is absolutely what you do all by helping people with what is going on in your minds with and without your partner until you can find these strengths and this safety inside of you to live the life of your dream. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Gemma. And I, as you were just saying that, I was thinking about trust and learning to trust yourself again and how important that is. It is a journey. And um, when you have been in an abusive situation, you lose yourself in that relationship. But I just want to reassure you that the beautiful you that was once there, or maybe you feel like you haven't yet discovered that person. The reason I called my podcast Tiara's Tears and Triumphs is because one of the things that I needed to do is to rediscover my own worth. And it's something that I want to remind all women of that you might be 
feeling quite worthless after the things that you've been through in your relationship or in the relationship that you're in. So you need to know that we all come into the world with exactly the same worth. We are all precious. So one of the most important relationships that you'll ever, ever have in your life is the one that you develop with yourself. And that involves learning to love yourself and learning to trust yourself again. And that is something that is just going to help you triumph over all those adversities in life. We're not guaranteed of what lies ahead in life, but when we value ourselves enough, we can be our best selves and we can give all that we can to help others. Absolutely. That is beautifully said. And that's wrap up our amazing conversations that I'm very grateful for all your wisdom. Thank you very much. Looking Thank forward you. to our next conversation. Catching you. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Bye.